Hello, and thank you for joining us for our worship time here, studying the book of Genesis and a gentleman by the name of Joseph. I pray you've been enjoying it. I'd like to give you just a little bit of housekeeping uh, issues that we're looking at as we're getting ready to get uh, safely back into our building. You'll be getting something next week that will give you some of the stair steps we'll be taking to do that. Some of the things we'll be doing that will be different just to give you a little bit of a heads up. We'll be taking our offering at our doors where we're not exchanging a plate back and forth between people. Obviously, we'll have spacing in our rows and the pews here to keep some distancing there. We've decided to do some different things with the time slots. You'll be hearing about that. And we're looking to get really started with that type of thing that we're going to initiate toward the latter part of June. We're practicing due diligence. Even there's uh, some things that we can do. We want to make sure we have it right for every part of our demographic, babies all the way through seniors. And I know you can imagine trying to figure out child care, not child care, what we do, the times we do it. But we'll have something in your uh, social media. We'll have something you can look at and see where you'll find out what we're planning to do and, and bringing on board. And hopefully... We'll get things rolling and going, get us initially back into this place in different phases, and hopefully by the time the young people are back in school, August 17th is what it looks like. The Sunday before that, we hopefully will be back to some of the regular things we used to do. Meanwhile, we're going to stair-step some things. So just a word about that, as many of you have asked It's a tightrope in trying to decide so many different things. If it was five people, it's easy. When we're looking at lots of different uh, ranges of ages and issues and all that, the child care issues, the lobby issues for spacing and all. So we're trying to figure all that out, have some great plans we believe you'll be able to hear, work with us for just a short time, and then uh, get things back rolling the way they were. So thank you. Meanwhile, we have someone who also experienced some hardship and some difficult time in his life by the name of Joseph. I know that you've seen that these last many months and weeks. We're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 42 today. In Genesis 42, the word of God tells us in verses 6 through 9, Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived... They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. And so we pick this up to where things have come full circle now. And we find out something that these brothers thought would never happen. It was not on their radar screen. Remember when we left them last week, they were sitting around looking at one another. And Jacob says, why are you just there looking at one another? Get up and do something. So as a result of that, these brothers get up, they head over to Egypt. Little did they ever know they'd be finding Joseph as this one 
who is this ruler in this great land. And so, in finding that out, we understand something about seeds that were put in the ground over 20 years before this. You see, the word of God tells us there's an immutable principle of sowing and reaping. The word immutable is just maybe a fancier word. It's unchangeable. This principle works whether you believe in God, don't believe in God, no matter what religion, what worldview, no matter how apathetic, how uh, energetic you are. This rule is a rule of God. It's immutable. It's not changeable for anyone. And the, and the, the rule is this. The principle is this. Do not be deceived. Be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so it didn't happen immediately, did it? They didn't uh, reap some of the results as far as the full blow of the results immediately, although they had to look at their father and deliver him that news and watch his countenance just drop. They've had to watch him for all these years, but now the full fruition of this reaping and sowing is coming about. You see, they did bow down to him. They didn't know they were bowing to him, but they were. The bottom line is Joseph comes and he says, you are spies. And so we don't have the full insight into all that Joseph is thinking. But if you stay with me a little bit, we're going to examine that. What is this about? Why isn't Joseph revealing himself yet to the brothers? Well, they've put some seeds in the ground. And everyone listening today, listening to this message We're all putting seeds in the ground. You're either putting in bad seeds or good seeds, and they all come up. There is no such thing as a crop failure in God's economy. You're going to reap whatever goes into the ground. These brothers have put some bad seed into the ground. It's horrible to think about it. And they do germinate. You see, Joseph's brothers were reaping what they had sown. It didn't look like it. They saw some of that reaping, but not what they're seeing right here. They had to pack up and go to see what was going on in Egypt to go get food. Hosea 8.7. It's a principle that humbles us when you look at it. Because what we find about people, no matter if they were born 3,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, or five minutes ago, people are people. The technology's changed. The dress has changed. Many things have changed regarding societally, but people are people. The word of God says regarding people, and this is talking specifically about Israel, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Or to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. What was happening in Israel? Israel was basically, they had sown their spiritual seed to the wind. They found that they were going to do it their way. They wanted to have their rights, their way, their thing. And they threw their seed to the wind and they reaped the whirlwind, a tornado. That's what came back. They also reaped something else. They did produce something that had no head, no nourishment that came from it. They produced things that wouldn't give life. This crop, it says, it will produce no flower. And were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. 
when you put bad seeds in the ground, when you make decisions based on subjective feeling and not the word of God, that's what you plant. Things come up, but it doesn't sustain life. It's not life-giving things. They're awful things. You reap the whirlwind when you sow to the wind, and you reap a crop that has no grain on it. Something comes up, but it won't sustain life. So Israel had sown its spiritual seed and invested itself in activities without substance, and they knew better. And these brothers knew better also to do what they did. But you see, envy, jealousy, hatred, strife lead to all kinds of issues in life. This has been going on for a couple of decades. And Joseph's brothers hadn't planted many righteous seeds. They put some seeds in the ground and see one seed leads to another. First, they're going to kill them, then they sell them. So what do they have to do? They have to lie. They have to deceive their father, deceive their families, deceive Joseph's friends, deceive Benjamin, his his full brother. It leads to all kinds of other things. You see, it always yields a crop, and it's not just one thing. One little grain of uh, corn makes more than one little grain of corn when it comes up. And so it grew all these other things out of it, and they're bad things. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's a two-way street, isn't it? It's a blessing and a curse. If you want to just hold on to things yourself, make it your way, your thing, and sow sparingly, that's what you get back. Some people whose lives seem empty. They wonder, why is it? Why have I got this stage of life and I don't feel fulfillment? Because when you invest in the wind, when you invest by putting bad seeds into the ground, that's all that can come up. It's an immutable principle. The brothers did that very thing. They sowed sparingly. And it's sad to see it. Because all those years, they had to carry a weight on them. And we will see in just a few minutes, when we look at a couple of other verses of Scripture, just what an impact this had in their minds. You see, there is a toll that sin takes on us emotionally. And many people don't count that, but I I count it big time. Because the emotional toll, uh, toll in families and individuals is crazy. Look at the toll of what it took in Joseph's family here. You see, circumstances matter less than our response to them. And many times we think we can put some bad seeds in the ground because these circumstances happen in our lives, but circumstances matter less than our response to them. So right now, let me ask you, what kind of response are you having to some of the circumstances in your life? What are you putting in the ground now that's going to bring up a good crop? What is it? And it may not be tomorrow. The crop may come up, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, not next year, but it may. But it will come up. Sooner or later, it will come up. Someone may ask, what about people that have died? Didn't come up for them. They didn't get to see it come up. No, not down here. Stephen didn't get to see his crop come up when he gave that great sermon 
that great word before he's stoned to death. But how many people have heard Stephen's sermon? You see, he put some good seeds in the ground, didn't he? And initially it looked like failure. It looked like they snuffed him out. They didn't snuff him out. His word goes on to this very day, along with the words of Peter, the other apostles. The word goes on. See, when you put good seeds in the ground, it is God's immutable principle. They're going to come up. Good seeds will grow and bring a wonderfully blessed harvest. Circumstances matter less than our response to them. So how are you responding? What does it look like? Are you getting frustrated and tired? I guess we all have some frustration and some tiredness dealing with the situation we have now. We didn't make it, but we're in the midst of it. But it's not about the circumstances and context of what we're talking about here. It's our response to them. And there's no doubt people that are becoming short in their temper. There's some that maybe have found some financial issues in the midst of it and discovered some things about themselves. Keep putting good seeds in the ground. Church, thank you that the reports I get, the calls I have, the emails I receive, talk about the kinds of seeds you're planting for the future. And God is blessing that. And seeds that were put in the ground a long time ago have been coming up during this time. What a great, great thing to see it and to watch it. Look at the crop Joseph planted. Conversely, we looked at the brothers. Joseph, on the other hand, he also planted a crop. You see, everyone's planting a crop. You may say, well, no, I'm not. I'm I'm just sitting around. You're planting a crop. Every human being on the face of the earth is planting a crop. For believers, there are some different criteria for how we handle that and the reward system God has in 1 Corinthians 3. But everybody's planting a crop, period. And many times hardships help define us. And the circumstances, once again, they're not... That's not the important thing. It's our response to the circumstances. So Joseph is planting this crop along the way. All these things have been happening to him. And probably people would, if they read the story that Joseph got mad and when he went to Potiphar's house and said, can I just go back and do this to my brothers? Or he could have done lots of different things. Sinned, been with Potiphar's wife. But Joseph remained loyal because he didn't depend on his feelings. He depended on his relationship with God. Even in the midst of unjust treatment and hardship. That's why I've got it on here again. You'll hear us through the message. Circumstances circumstances matter less than our response to them. Ironically, watch how God works. Joseph was now the one who held life in his hands. You see, Joseph's life was in the hand of those brothers at that time. They thought they were going to take it. They thought they were going to change it. They thought they could make him miserable. They thought they could get rid of their problem. But ironically, you see, the life of the brothers and many countries in that day and time is in the hands of Joseph. What an incredible thing. You see, you can't plant bad seeds, and expect a good crop. 
It's impossible. In God's economy, he says, it is impossible. It's also impossible to plant good seeds and get a bad crop. You will always get a good crop when you plant good seeds. There's some things that all of us are challenged on in our lives. Some say, you know, my family line, we just, we're short-tempered. Or I can't help worry, I'm from a family of worriers. Or whatever excuse we put up. You know how lame excuses we can all put up and find excuse for our sinfulness. I'm a worrier. Well, the word of God says we're not to worry in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. We're to depend on God. We're to depend on him and show our loyalty to him. You see, Joseph planted a huge crop. No one could imagine. In fact, people didn't see him literally planting something, but ends up working with people that are harvesting crops. Isn't that interesting? He planted a huge crop that would feed probably millions of people, including his own family, whose life was in his very hand. You see, Psalm 126.5 says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Have you ever thought about some of the dynamics in Joseph's life? Going to sleep at night in a prison, alone again, Wondering about your family, about your life, what will ever become of you? Will you ever get out? I bet there were some tears there. Maybe even some temptations to say, you know what? I'm going to try and break out of here. Do you ever wonder what it was like when he, after he was sold into slavery, going and marching along with a caravan to be sold? wonder if he was shedding some tears along that way. That had to be so hard. I can't imagine what that would feel like. But you see, when you sow in tears, you reap with songs of joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Times when we're lacking that joy, it's because we haven't been living the life we need to live. It's because we haven't been putting those good seeds in the ground. And we don't put them there to get. It's, it's going to make a good crop because God promises we do it because it's right, just like Joseph. But God does promise if you do it, you will, you're guaranteed to get a good crop. And you see, we'll reap with songs of joy. What's, what's one of the really basic elements that's missing so much a part of our world? It's joy, isn't it? A lot of people are unhappy with what's happened. I'm one of them. Happiness depends on happenings. I don't like some of the restaurants that I can't go to that I normally do. I don't like some of the extra time it takes in waiting in a line to get into a store. I frankly don't care. I enjoy wearing a mask. I do many times when I'm out. There's lots of things I don't like. I don't like having you not here. I love to see you here. I, I enjoy that. I energize with people. So there's some things that don't make me happy. But joy and happiness are vastly different. You see, joy cannot be robbed from you and I. I want to know that during those times where I'm not happy, that I have something that's deeper than happiness that doesn't affect the happenings. It's dependent on who God is and his immutable principle. And I know during those times where I don't feel that happy, that I want to do something. I want to keep seeds going into the ground. Good seeds. I want to be like a Joseph that's going to reap this great crop. And how it works out, I don't know. 
whether I see it in my lifetime or not, God says they're coming up. And I love that. You see, a fruit planted or sown in righteousness is a great fruit. And Joseph sowed righteousness in his life. Joseph didn't err to the side of, well, you know, I will rationalize sinning. I'll rationalize not trusting God because look what he had happen to me. Look what happened. Why didn't God prevent it? And all of us can have those thoughts at times about why this happened to me. The real question for us as far as human beings is, Get a basis for what your belief system is. Did God ever say nothing can happen to me or you? I've asked the question before months ago. Was there ever a time in your life or my life when we couldn't die? You see, on this earth, there are many unfair things on this earth. Heaven will not include those things. That's why. Listen carefully. Circumstances matter less than our response to them. How are you responding to it? Keep the seeds that are good seeds going into the ground. Don't let your happiness affect your joy. Because when you're putting those right seeds in the ground, when you're bringing the right attitude to the workplace or lack of workplace, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, through social media, you're being a blessing. The Word of God tells us in Proverbs eleven eighteen. look at it. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. I like that. Sow righteousness. Sow the things that are eternal, the things that will last, the things that are going to matter. That's what Joseph has done. There's no way, I repeat, that you can plant bad seed and expect a good crop to come up. Well, pastor, you know, I've already put some bad seeds in the ground. What am I do? Listen, plant good seeds alongside of it. You can hear the, the start of a new day is the start of a new crop. The start of going out there and plowing and putting some good things in the ground. If there's some amends you need to make with people, make them. If there's some amends you need to make with God, make them. If there's some habits that need to change, do it. Put the good seeds in. God will recognize it. And when he does, you're going to find something. If there's some things to deal with, you're going to find joy is going to be restored to your spirit. You're going to experience the kind of joy that Joseph had, the kind of joy that's promised in in Galatians chapter 5, the joy from the Holy Spirit of God. Rather than blocking the conduit to that joy, when we obey God, when we plant seeds of righteousness, when we put good seed in the ground, we begin to feel that joy again. And like I said, it's way deeper than the happiness. Happiness comes and happiness goes. We think, well, once we get by this, everything will be okay. We don't know because Jesus said, even about tomorrow. I don't know about my life or your life even for tomorrow. You see, that's a humbling thing, but also it's a grounding thing for us. If we knew, well, we got 20 more years, this is going to turn out this way. No, we don't know. It is the unknown that makes us possible. It makes it possible for us to live loyal, faithful lives to God. We walk by faith, not by sight. We honor God. And see, it says that Joseph spoke harshly to them. 
There's a context for understanding this because I've looked at this over the years many different times. What is the context? Let's see it. What came to Joseph's mind when he saw only 10 brothers? You see, there were 12 of them. Joseph's in Egypt, but only 10 are there. The question I believe that comes to Joseph's mind is, where's my full brother Benjamin? Maybe not in those exact words, but he only sees 10. And the thought is no doubt in his head because of what his brothers had already done. Have they done away with Benjamin just like they did to me? And it may be an assumption he's making at that point. Did they do the same thing to my full brother? Just do the same thing to Benjamin? Did they treat him that way? Is that why he's not here? It's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, we're going to find out what does happen to Benjamin as we pick up in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 42. No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. Hmm. Really? Look at the human dilemma. We're all our best advocate. We're all our best uh, own mediator for, for, for wanting to be right, wanting to look good. And these people say, these brothers who did the most horrendous thing we could ever imagine, they sell their brother. Your servants are honest men, is what they said. Their deceitful, self-serving assessment of themselves. Let me ask you something. What is your assessment and an issue you may be entangled in right now. What is your assessment of yourself right now as far as your Christian walk? Would you consider if everything was journaled the last two months, you could re- reread it and say, you know, I've seen God work in my life. I am a, uh, reemerging stronger. I've read more in God's word. I've picked up more good habits from my life, put more good seeds into ground than I ever have. You see, that possibility has existed. But there's a tendency to think, because we sometimes can only do very little, that because and compared to a lot of the other parts of the world, we're doing a whole lot more. And we compare ourselves many times to other people that aren't doing a whole lot. Say, well, compared to them, I'm doing a whole lot. That's not the comparison. The comparison is to how am I responding according to God's word? What am I putting into the ground now? Am I honest with myself? Can I honestly say I spent time talking with my God today? Or was I just reading in someone else's devotion and rushing through it? Was I spending time alone with God and talking to God? When we begin to make a real assessment, not the ones here that the human tendency to look out for ourselves because it goes against God's word. Look out for ourselves and protect ourselves. No, with God, he sees it anyway. Have you been transparent with God? Have you had a good talk with him? Have you told him how you feel today, these last days, during this time? Does he know that you are working on some things in your life that you and he know you need to change? Attitudes, forgiveness, morality. Does he know it? 
You see, the real assessment, the real assessment is how am I compared to what God's word says? These brothers made a phony assessment. And many times, as just someone that's counseled people across a desk for several decades, I hear people give an assessment. Sometimes it's couples. And what I hear from one is vastly different than I hear from the other because of that tendency to put up blocks and look good, put up the fig leaves, i.e., that our parents Adam and Eve did to protect ourselves and look good. We begin to grow and we become transparent. It would have been really great to hear these brothers say, we're not that honest to people. We lie to our father. We lie to our brothers. We've lied to our families. We're filled with self-deceit. But of course, they don't say that yet. Do you have that tendency to look out for number one? making yourself number one, or look out for number one who is truly God. You see, when we look out for God as number one, it brings about transparency. When Isaiah is faced with the presence of God, he says, woe unto me. Not God, look at me and look how good I look. He says, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, it gets revealed before God. And when we become transparent and honest, That's the best place we can be. That's where your joy starts to get restored because you've cleared the deck. You've opened it up to put some good seeds in the ground and to be a blessing. What does the word of God tell us in Luke 22, 24? It says, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. The disciples walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. They heard the best lessons you could ever possibly hear. Could anyone say that Jesus didn't explain it well enough? That Jesus wasn't a good teacher? That Jesus didn't model it? He did everything right. They argue about who was the greatest. And every human being on the face of the earth deals with that battle. Who is the greatest, me or God? And Christians, born again, real Christians who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not a religion, not a person, not a system, but that Christ died on the cross for their sins, shed his blood, rose three days later from the grave and have come to him and him alone as the only savior of their soul, the only one that can take them to heaven and put their faith and trust in him. Us, us people, have we gone before God and made that decision as far as God, I guess I've, in my head, my intellectual answer is, you're the greatest. But God, when I look at my spiritual journal, when I look at my daily life, maybe I've overassessed myself like these brothers. We're honest men. We're good people. Yeah, right. God says there's none righteous, no, not one. Only God can give us a pure heart and only his word can give us the ability to put good seeds into the ground. You see, circumstances matter less than our response to them. How are you responding? God wants us to respond the right way. You see, Joseph remained childlike in his faith through years of trials and hardships. 
It says in Matthew 18, 3 and 4, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that amazing? So we see Joseph and the naivete it seems like he had to go through situation after situation and not not be found untrustworthy. Say, well, he's the exception. No. Every believer ought to live like that. That's what God calls us to do. He calls us to live in such a way that we are trusting in him. You have to become like a child. Now, there's a difference. I want you to see this. A significant difference between becoming a child and being childish. Don't confuse them. There's, becoming a child means that you learn as a child to listen to the one that cares for you and loves you, to obey the one that provides for you, to have respect for that authority. But you see, childish behavior, saying, well, I know what that says, but I'm going to do my own thing. I, I know, I've, I've got lots of other things right. I'll I'll take care of that sometime. I'll change that sometime. Dear friend, there's not a better time today that you could do that. God's put it on your heart. Today's the day to change it. And you see, a lot of the things are not so much that we can pick out as tangible, but they're inside. They're attitude things. Attitude towards life. Attitudes towards people. Attitudes that can sour our understanding of our spouse, our friends, our church, of people. Because when God is not the gyroscope that gives the balance to life, we just mess it up. We wrongly assess ourselves. The vast difference between becoming a child and being childish. I submit to you that many places of worship are filled with childish people. They call it their money, their time, their stuff, their things, and dear friend, Whether it's me or you, we own nothing. God owns everything. He created the earth we're in and even the ability we have if we become successful came because God gave it to us. He receives all the glory. And just like when people go to the hospital, there may be a physician that may not believe in God. But I tell those people are being operated on that that your doctor may not believe in God, but God believes in your doctor, number one. Number two, Whether they recognize it or not, the ability to do what they can do came from God. The sad thing is they don't give them the glory for it. I will and they will. See, how we look at things, it's our attitude. And that's why I'm talking about circumstances matter less than how we respond to them because how we respond inwardly to God makes all the difference in the world. Joseph was loyal to God when no one else was looking. He was doing the right thing in prison, the right thing when he was on the the caravan, the right thing when he was in Potiphar's house. When no one else was looking, he was there. There was no one there with their cell phone to to, uh, capture that or say, look what he's doing. He just did it because he had a real relationship with God. Let me ask you, do you have a real transparent relationship with God? That's what he wants. That's where joy comes from. That's what can't be robbed. Happiness can be robbed. Joy can't. It's deep. It's from the Spirit. And God says, that's what I want you to have, that kind of joy. I want you to look at this next 
passage here in verses 12 and 13. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. So Joseph, by prodding his brothers, is going to ascertain some incredible information that he hadn't known about for decades. The question gets answered. Where is the younger brother? He's now with our father. I'm sure a weight fell off of Joseph, having seen just the 10, to know that his full brother is still alive. He also finds out that the father's still alive. Jacob's still alive. That's a great thing. But it's interesting that we see here that they say, and one is no more. They don't mention his name. They don't mention what happened. They just assume that one is no more. And they have had to carry the weight of that sin for a long time. And they passed the weight of that sin on, as I said before, to Jacob, to their families, to the friends for decades. Dear friend, some people listening right now have probably been carrying something a year or two or perhaps decades. And maybe even longer than just two decades. And it's an attitude thing. An attitude toward a spouse, an attitude toward a person, an attitude toward the word of God or toward God himself. Some of you are afraid to have a questioning of God. God will kill me if I ask him that. No, he won't. If you ask in faith, ask it. God wants to give answers. He wants to bless us. He wants to show us. But you have to go to him transparently. You see, and one is no more. Oh, yes. He's more. He's holding the life of millions of people in his hands now. He put in seeds of righteousness. He planted a good crop. And yes, he's more. Don't say he's not anymore. You see, a lot of times people may write off folks like us. Who are we? Some church going people. Who are you and your family? Let me tell you who you are. You are someone that's a child of the king. And some people may write you off and say, ah, oh, they're no more. They, they lost their friends. They go with a different crowd now. They waste their life. Dear friend, if you're in Jesus Christ, you're more. And if you're putting seeds in the ground, look what comes up. The impossible does because, you see, our circumstances just aren't as important as a response to them. Compare Genesis 37, 9. Here comes that dreamer with Genesis 42, 10, where they address Joseph as my Lord. Now, they don't mean God in that sense. It means master in an earthly sense. That's what it's talking about in that sense. So what's going on in your life? Pastor, God hadn't responded yet. 
I wonder when he's going to answer. I don't know what's happening with this. I haven't seen the answer. It's already been one week, one day, two months, 10 years, whatever. I want you to see what the word of God says, what scripture tells us. Hang on to this because it's true. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any, anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you just looked at this story about Joseph and think about 20 years, one day at a time, passing by, 20 years, it sure looks like God is slow. And it may look like God is slow in your life, but God's not slow. God's working in the timing of things that we can't even understand. That's why it's a wonderful thing to understand the reaping, the sowing principle. When you sow good seed, you're going to get a good crop. But no one can expect to put bad seed in the ground and get a good crop. The dreamer, the dreamer, he's a dreamer, all right. He is no more. They counted him gone. I want you to hear something that's on a plaque Some have been to Lincoln's, Abraham Lincoln's original birthplace in Hodgenville, Kentucky. In this article, it says, On a plaque marking Abraham Lincoln's birthplace near Hodgenville, Kentucky, is recorded this scrap of a conversation. Some of you have probably read it in books or seen it. And here's what it says. Any news down to the village, Erzy? Well, Squire McLean's gone to fishing, gone to Washington to see Madison and see him sworn in. An old spellman tells me that Bonaparte, that Bonaparte fella has captured most of Spain. What's new out here, neighbor? Nothing. Nothing at all, except for a new baby born to Tom Lincoln's. Nothing ever happens out here. I was trying to find out some of the different facts about Abraham Lincoln in that conversation. Nothing ever happens out here. What happens out here? Just a a baby boy was born. Every time you pick up a penny, a United States penny, there's a depiction of Lincoln on that, isn't there? It's incredible, isn't it? And Victor Brennan in 1909 is the one that designed at least the face of this penny. The back has changed over the years, but the face is there. And billions and billions of pennies have been minted. Boys and girls, people from the United States, people from around the world have picked up that. And there it is. Abraham Lincoln on billions of these with right above his head, it says, in God we trust. Nothing ever happens out here in Hodgenville. Nothing. Really? Something happened. You see, the size of the star, doesn't, it doesn't predict the size of the outcome. And in your life, it may look like nothing's happening. But something's happening. And no one would have predicted out of that little place in Nowheresville, and I've been by it, that 
here is perhaps many consider the greatest precedent on billions and billions of coins depicted within God we trust right above his head. Do you trust God? Do you trust him in the little things? Do you trust him in the big things? Are circumstances overcoming you? Are there some things in life that you have found yourself in the transparency beyond this message to ask yourself, I've got to get some things right with God. And I'm talking to believers. I have to get some things right with God. Because, Pastor, you're right. There's some hidden things in my attitude that need to change. And then maybe some things will start to happen. When I put some good seeds in the ground, when I put things in of blessing, not looking to get a return, but just doing it because I love God, I'm loyal to him, just like Joseph. It looked like God was slow, but he wasn't. And friend, God won't be slow in your life either. Plant those seeds, be a blessing. And today, if you happen to be watching and wondering where is God in the midst of this, who is God, is there a God? You may just be watching because you're interested or curious what we believe. If you're watching today, I want you to understand something. We're not a religion. We're not a cult. We're not even a system. We happen to be a local church that believes God's word, the Bible, from cover to cover. We believe his story of redemption. We believe that mankind fell and sinned in a garden. We believe that God loved us and had a plan of salvation in place for us because heaven's going to be a perfect place. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, lived the perfect life, died on the cross to do for me and to do for you what we could not do for ourselves. He died for our sins and rose from the grave three days later. He made the complete payment for sin. He suffered and bled and died and rose from the grave. Friend, what could you do that would add to the suffering of Jesus to pay for your sin? The answer is nothing. Nothing we could do. He paid it all. So one day, true believers that say, God, as best I understand that, I put my faith and trust in you to save me. Not a system, not a church, not a pastor, not anyone, but you because you're the one that did it. And friend, if you do that by faith and receive the gift of eternal life, God will indwell you with his Holy Spirit. You will become his child. In John 1, 12, as many as received him, to those he gave the power to become the children of God, you become his child. You see, God is everyone's God, but he's not everyone's father. That's a misnomer. It's a mistake biblically. You may, with all due respect, disagree with me, but that's biblical. He's your father when you come to him by faith and you're born again into his family. And you're born again, not by money, not by stuff, not by intellect. You're born again by faith in what Jesus Christ has already done. And when you do that, then you begin to live a life where God wants you to put good seeds into the ground to reap incredible things that can happen in life. To have a seed kind of faith, a mustard seed faith, though it's very small, Great things come from it. Circumstances are going to come into life. It's just a natural thing. Jesus says that. But the fact is, our circumstances, that's not the important thing. They matter less than our response to them. And I pray that God has helped shape an attitude from this message and with your conversations and prayer and transparency to him that plant lots of great seeds for the future. God bless you.